Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. I am going to make this intro short and sweet because this episode is incredible, but it is also incredibly long. Today, a previous guest, Sarah Kastner, I think she was episode eight talking about her boys. She's back with me and she and I are having a mom talk conversation about anticipatory grief and how it has affected us. Okay, so I am really excited about today because in this world of chaos and heaviness, it's really difficult to find a mom who you can connect with sometimes. Literally, in our case, we both have dying children, two of them. Two. And I think that makes this relationship incredibly unique because you and I are going through so many of the same emotions as each other, but also as a lot of our listeners, but you and I are doing it twice. And today we're going to dive in. Uh, Sarah's here. Sorry, I forgot to say. Sarah's here. Say Hello. hi to Sarah, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Sarah's, Sarah's back. So Sarah, I meant to look up. I think you were episode, like you were in the first 10 episodes. Eight. Yeah, I think eight. I was. Eight. Okay. So if you want to hear Sarah's story, go back and listen to episode eight and you can hear about her boys, her family. You want to just tell us like in sure. one I'll sentence just- or a couple sentences about your kids? Yeah, absolutely. So now I think it's been a year since we've mm-hmm. done this last time. They are six and eight. Uh, my two little boys are, and they have Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, I also have two older stepboys that are not affected by the disease. And I also am a carrier, I think, which will play into some of this conversation as well. Mm-hmm. And I live in Minnesota. It's like negative seven here today or something ridiculous. Can you briefly, uh, for people who haven't listened, can you, in a couple sentences, explain Duchenne's muscular dystrophy? Yes, I can. So Duchenne is a progressive neuromuscular disease. It happens, um, it's genetic, and it happens because um, the dystrophin is not expressing. So a needed protein for their muscles to grow, um, they don't have that. So basically with every muscle movement, Instead of the muscle breaking down and building that back up to get stronger, the muscle breaks down and never builds back up. And so they get weaker and weaker over time. I remember one of the like mind-blowing points that I realized interviewing you last time was that in my world with Mito kids, you're like pushing and pushing and pushing with physical therapy and, you know, get stronger, get stronger, where 
and with my children, they just tap out because they don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. And your boys have the energy. Mm-hmm. And the more work they do, the more long-term like it's just such a fine line for you guys. It is. It's totally a fine line that we live every day. I mean, we were at the doctor yesterday and Duncan was running around in circles and I was like, okay, give your body a break, you know, but he has Mm -hmm. like also a lot of energy. So yeah, we're trying to conserve muscles so that they can continue to be ambulatory as long as possible. Do they have a life expectancy? They do. When we were diagnosed three and a half years ago, it was like late teens, early twenties. And every time I say that, you see a child that has died at 10 or 11 because of heart failure. Mm -hmm. But you also see someone saying, don't say that my son's 30, but it's like Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. As you talk, I'm not thinking, I'm thinking like their whole physical body, but I didn't even think about like heart as a muscle. And yes. And if you think about actually all the muscles, which I try not to, that's part of this, is like the tongue. A lot of people lose control. And so they are constantly like just Mm -hmm. always rubbing their tongue out because they don't have control over their muscle of their Mm -hmm. tongue, which is so weird to think about. And then like the bladder, the heart, the lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. So Mm -hmm. today we're going to dive into anticipatory grief. Because that's something that you and I have kind of bonded over mm-hmm. for, which is a terrible morbidity. thing to bond over. Bond over morbidity. Isn't it? Like, gosh, like how many moms can sit around and chit chat about dying kids and be like, oh, I love you. I just oh. told my friend yesterday, I go, if, cause I'm at heightened risk for heart failure or for fibrosis of the heart. And I said, if I die, will you please help my kids? And she was like, gosh, you're so morbid. And I'm like, well, no, I'm like serious. Will you help my kids? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's something that, especially now that Lorelai's passed, I'm kind of in a different place than you are where we were a year ago bonding, but I think about death every single day. I don't know about you, but like mm-hmm. literally every single day I think about death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know how humans are supposed to function thinking about death every right. single day. Right. So... Let's first define what anticipatory grief is according to the internet, according to the Google. According to the facts. Anticipatory grief is the grief that occurs before death. It is common among people facing the eventual death of a loved one or their own death. Most people expect to feel grief after death, but fewer are familiar with the grief that shows up before the end of life. And in our case, our children were given this diagnosis very early in their lives. Most of the research I did prior to today talked about how anticipatory grief is something that comes on towards the end of like a cancer treatment or towards, you know, the end, the end of a life if you're caregiving for your elderly parent. I couldn't find anything on the internet. And I, I will be honest, I didn't dig very thoroughly about anticipatory grief for caregivers of young children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're here to talk about it, to enlighten the world that this is real. It is real. And the internet has told me that 
this is a real grief. It is a real type of grief, but it really isn't something, even every single website I found said, yes, this is a type of grief. No, it is never talked about. Right. How has anticipatory grief affected you? I would even like take that definition and say, I think of the grief in terms of what they are going to lose even before they die. Mm -hmm. So every appointment we go to, if you think about like twice a year, we're in um, at least twice a year, but in very intense, like multi-day appointments. And we're basically like seeing how far they've progressed or how much they've declined. Like Mm -hmm. even going into an appointment like that, you anticipate like what's, how much have they lost? It happened to me yesterday, actually, with Duncan going into cardiology. He's had a year and a half of poor results for an echocardiogram that he had enlarged left ventricles, early signs of heart failure. And so you just anticipate, like, is this the time where they say, oh, no, you know, like, we don't like what we see. It's rapidly declining. And thankfully, it wasn't yesterday. But like, that is living with anticipatory grief. Like, when is going to be the day? And honestly, with it's a little different with Mido than with Duchenne, because I think because the life, like the life expectancy is kind of broad. Like I said, some are like 10, 11, but Mm -hmm. then some are 30. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea where I'm going to fall in that spectrum. Nothing can tell me. And with us, with my kids specific type of Mito, we were given a two to five year life expectancy, but then you have, for example, there was Juliet who passed at 16. And then I was talking to another family. Their son is Mac He is now 17, almost 18, I believe, but he's walking and talking. Cognitively, he is um, developmentally disabled, but he's walking, talking, eating. And that, like, there's such a spectrum because Mm -hmm. there's so few kids in the world that have this. I kind of go to that place of how do you keep hope, but keep grounded in the reality that your kid is going to die? And like you said, waiting for that bad news to drop Mm -hmm. because. Like you, we have um, heart day next Thursday, and that's Benji goes every four to five months to get his heart checked, and you just go into it waiting. Like, I now will be anxious between now and then about that appointment, and I I love that doctor. I really do. She's in my top three of all of our docs, and I told her, I was like, I really, really like you, but I want to throw up every time I see you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the heart one is scary. Like mm-hmm. when the heart starts to go, you don't have much time. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. how I look at it. And I mm-hmm. do think like information is good, but we have this path of how Duchenne typically follows. And so mm-hmm. they're going to lose, it like goes in this order. They're going to lose the ability to walk. And then I know they're going to be lose the ability to move their arms. Then they lose the ability to eat. And then they lose the ability to breathe. It's like all the things just happen simultaneously and you don't really know how long is going to be in between each stage, but you know, they're all coming, you know? Yeah. And do you look for like every little symptom? Oh yeah. My husband doesn't, but I, (laughs) I do. I mean, he is, if you think about living like with grief versus living with hope, I mean, we're, 
not that I'm sitting around moping, but I feel like that's, and I've talked about this before, like, that's what I see. That's what I look for. Cause it's the only way we can be prepared in my opinion, like, and like advocate appropriately, Mm -hmm. you know, like I see all the things, well, I don't see all the things, but I try to see all the things so that I can get in front of it. And it, and it even parlays into the school, like where Caleb fell off of his chair and that brings a whole different set of like, oh my gosh, we're not even properly equipped at the school. Like, what have I not thought of there to yeah. help them be successful? And all of this, like, it really does play into how you live your life, the things you think about. Like, it's all the negatives, unfortunately, yeah. which is the grief part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm reading a book and... Good for you, by the way. I'm trying. I'm trying to read. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to grab it. Yeah. So in my, in my desire to, I don't sleep anymore at night. Um, Which is so ironic. Like, didn't you think that was when you would be able to? I was up all night with Lorelai for years. Years. Yeah. And now... Like I've gone to the doctor and it got to the point where I did ask for sleeping meds and she said no. Um, she said that it's probably like they increased my antidepressants thinking mm-hmm. that that may help. And it's hard to explain to a doctor that I have been up at 3 and 4 a.m. for three years. Yeah, And now I'm up at 3 and 4 a.m. because my kid isn't here. Right. And I just lay there and I scroll on my phone after trying to sleep. You know, like I don't immediately scroll on my phone because I'm trying so freaking hard to turn my head off. Yeah. But then I'm like, screw it. I'm awake. Right. Right. What's on Instagram today? Something's good at, is out there. So I'm trying to read books I because like I'm like, I should at least use my brain. And then I start reading and I get tired, which kind of helps. Yeah. This book, I am about 50 pages in and it's a pretty popular book. The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Now, I I am 50 pages in and I'm reading it and I'm like, bless their hearts. Like, th- yes, the universe has our backs too, but I sometimes feel like she's talking to people who cannot grasp the concept of having two dying children. Right. One of the things, though, that did stand out in the first 50 pages is that she talks about living with your teacher as fear or living with the teacher of love. That kind of struck me because I feel like in our situation, we have to live with the teacher of fear mm-hmm. so that we can take care of our dying children. Do the things, right. But I want to cling to the teacher that is love because I feel like all good things come from God and love and the universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that somehow through my grief, I can find a balance between the two. But I think it's unrealistic for us to not focus on the fear and the death because that's the only way we can control caring for our kids. That's exactly right. I feel like I want to, she's great, but Gabby, but yes, I feel like our whole world is filled with like things that talk to typical people in typical lives. (laughs) Um, but I feel like I want to read that quote I sent you this morning. What I woke yeah, up to yeah. was 
I am renewing your mind. When your thoughts flow freely, they tend to move toward problems. Your focus gets snagged on a given problem, circling round and round in it attempts to gain mastery. Your energy is drained away from other matters through this negative focus. Worst of all, you lose sight of me, me being God. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, it's so true. Like you, but because everything we do, there's not usually a lot of, po- like the doctor's appointments aren't positives, like how we are dealing with everything. But there is so much love to your point and positivity. that gets. I feel like I'm, it gets missed. Yeah. One of the things that really helped me the last two or so years of Lorelai's life, and I've said it before on this show, it was one of the coping techniques that my therapist kind of pushed upon me. She said that it is impossible in our situation to not think about death. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you not to because that is completely unrealistic. So I want to challenge you that if you spend 10 minutes thinking about the bad and the death and the negativity that could come from the doctor's appointment, I want you to spend the same exact amount of time thinking about the positive, whether that's the memories you've made or Lorelai's beautiful hair or her giggle or, Mm. and for me, that was really helpful because it kind of grounded me back to, yes, you are allowed to think about this because this is what is going to take for you to keep your kid alive, but you also have to refocus on the beauty that this life has also given you. I love that. And I it's feel not like I easy. Could, no, right. <laughs> I feel like I could do that in my writing. Like I cope by writing, even mm-hmm. if I just am like, have so much in my head, I can write out three or four, four bullets. I did it the other day, like my stressors. So I could just write the negative. So I know, and my therapist told, tried to tell me to articulate what am I grieving? Like, Hmm. Am I grieving the life that I thought I was going to have? Am I grieving the fact that I'm watching them progress, you know, or the life, I guess, that they thought they, I thought they were going to have? Like, there's so many different things you're grieving. But then if I, it'd be so powerful to follow that up with some, like, it's for, they're so damn cute. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) they make people smile. And, you know, there is good. Not to stray in a different direction, but. I don't know about you, I would obviously change the diagnosis and change the trajectory and change seeing your children suffer. But I wouldn't change what I've been given because I've learned so much about myself and other people in the world. And it's because of Lorelai and Benji, we can't forget him, but she was the path maker on this one. I don't know. It's just a weird place to be. I just was talking to someone yesterday actually about like you almost, I mean, we feel blessed that we were given this that is so Mm -hmm. jaded. Like I wouldn't Mm -hmm. wish that this upon anyone, but I'm so happy. I guess it's me because I live so differently than I think I would have otherwise. Do you ever think about what kind of mom you'd be if you had healthy kids? Oh like the soccer mom? I think mm. I'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like I, my kids would be in like, I'd be that hockey, you know, person, mom. I don't know. I oh, am I was- called, like, I don't have to, we bring our kids to doctor's appointments, but that's in place of any activity. My friends now are like all over the place with their mm-hmm. kids 
traveling sports and, you know, sitting in like swim meets and stuff, like, oh, I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> I drove past Chuck E. Cheese. Do you have Chuck E. Cheese up there? Yes, we do. I drove past Chuck E. Cheese and I was like, oh, thank God I don't have to deal with that. Right. Right. <laughs> there are some good things. Now, I do feel like I, besides the therapy, I do feel like there are things my kids can do that I haven't yet. I like selfishly don't want to ruin my weekday nights or weekends, Mm -hmm. but like music and there's things that they can participate in. We just Mm -hmm. haven't done that yet. Yeah. I was going to say one other thing about the, the kind of trajectory of the disease. And one thing that like scares me or that I think about all the time is say my kids are the ones that make it until they're 30 like that I'm going to be like old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how do I even do that? Mm-hmm. Not to say like, I hope they die sooner, <laughs> but I I'm like, it. I have no idea how that works. Like, especially kids with Duchenne, like become, I mean, you have to, how do you pick them up? Well, like, and isn't it incredibly comforting to sit with a mom who's like, Oh, I get it. Like, you don't want your kids to die. But now that Lorelai has passed, Benji is so much more stable than she was at this point. And I'm like, what if he doesn't die? Right. Really? Like, what if he doesn't? Right. And right now, he's over 30 pounds of dead weight. Yeah. And you can't tell this, but I pulled out my left. I need to call up fascia fix here because I pulled my left shoulder and my neck because I'm carrying him. Was he in a? Because you rock that sling, man. Well, this like wasn't a sling. Was okay. just, right now, I'm in the room over the garage, so we're up and down and up and down the stairs. Oh, right. And you know, like they get heavier and heavier. And in your case, they're going to get heavier and heavier and lose control of. I mean, Lorelai, for lack of a better word, was a bag of sack of potato dead weight. For the last two years of her life. At least Benji right now can wrap his arms around me. But you find yourself at a point going, what if they don't die? Mm -hmm. And you're not wishing for that. But you're also, I don't know about you. This is going to be a really raw thing to say. But like, how am I going to do this for 10 more years? Right. How am I going to? Like, I've already experienced the hardest day of Lorelai's life, the day she died. Mm -hmm. And actually, I take that back. Her death was beautiful. And her death, as long as we're talking about anticipatory grief, her death was so much more beautiful than I expected it to be. Um, The hardest days were the days leading up to her death because her death was absolutely peaceful. That being said... Like, how do I do this and lose another child? How am I going to do this care, this excessive, constant care for another decade if he decides to live a long life? Right. Like, what about me? Yeah. I know. My husband and I got in a fight this morning over Cheez-Its. Like, if the snack was packed. The Cheez-Its were packed for for snack. And I realized after I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just like spread too thin. Like, you know, when you're fighting over Cheez-Its, that's something (laughs) something isn't going quite right. 
But you I mean, at least that. it wasn't Oreos, you know, That's there's, true, there's right. a level of, <laughs> I don't know if it's any worse or better, but that is one thing I remember when we were diagnosed, like, and they talked about how things go typically in the body. And it was when these muscles go, no one can see me, but under the armpits is when it becomes very challenging for the caregiver because you no longer can pick them up. Right. Like you would. And I literally every time I pick up my kids, which is multiple times a day, I always like it's my instinct to feel like mm-hmm. how much are you giving in that mm-hmm. and that eventually like they won't be able like Lorelai couldn't to hug you like, oh, are you kidding? Yeah. Focusing on the good here. Um, Lorelai could never hug um, cognitively. I don't think she understood. She was really great at like playing with hair or like rubbing your arm, Benji can hug and he understands, give mama a hug. Um, and it's beautiful. Yeah. I had somebody comment on my Instagram page. I'm thinking it's an internet troll, but I had somebody comment on a post I did 36 weeks ago about Benji hugging me and part of my language, but this asshole troll wrote all about how, it's my fault as a mother who should have known that if I had one child with this disease, it's my fault that Benji suffers. It's my fault that he is going to live the life of pain and agony that I put on him because I should have known better knowing that my first child had this disease and it was because of me. Like you shouldn't have had another kid or what are they trying yes. to go after? Yes. I shouldn't have had another kid and that his suffering is all my fault. Oh, gosh. But how beautiful and amazing is he and a blessing in so many people's lives? <laughs> like, who does Whether that? you and, knew it or not. Like, well, people and choose. like, yeah. as a mom who, yes, in your case and in my case, this is a genetic thing. So, right. yes, this is partially my fault. If we right. think about that in that way, we are screwed, <laughs> right? Like it is our fault, but oh, then we're really in doom. But that's one more layer of grief that this asshole troll had to pull out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you ever, is part of your anticipatory grief, is any part of it like related to, you are a carrier for this? Yeah. And that plays into, I think, the trajectory of, like, knowing their life span and how long they'll live. Like, I don't know where my health will be at. And Mm -hmm. frankly, I'm, like, not ready to take that on. (laughs) Like, even knowing. And I haven't – and this is funny. I just – you know, right when we were diagnosed or Duncan was diagnosed, which meant I was a carrier, I – had to go see the cardiologist and make sure everything was okay. And it was. And in my mind, I thought, okay, good. Check that off. I'm good to go. Like maybe I'll visit them again in 10 years. No, apparently I'm supposed to be going yearly for cardiac MRIs to make sure I haven't gone since. I'm like, Mm -hmm. and I, I will. And I need to, because I need to be healthy and here and be on medication if necessary so I can take care of my kids. So because you're a carrier, you could have also not full. It doesn't seem like it affects 
women, female carriers physically, although some, some like as they get older, they recognize like, oh, that's why it's always been hard for me to get up the stairs. Or like when I was five, this was hard. So so, there's some correlation. um, But for the most part, it is with the fibrosis of the heart is what starts happening, which is like early signs of heart failure. (laughs) I'm like, oh, geez. Oh, okay. uh, That's my plate of of worries. Literally, if I, like, I think I go in a couple, maybe a month or something. If it comes back and I, those start to show, I'm like, okay, Dan, either it doesn't mean I'm going to die like next year or even in five or 10 years, I don't think. I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when it comes. But I'm like, I feel like I either want to like quit my job, spend all my money. (laughs) like live, 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 or like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm going to do. And that's something that we were talking about before we got on air was that I'm at a point right now where Lorelai is gone. Benji is semi-stable. I don't know if I told you, but I don't, I lost my job and I am trying to decide like, do I push to keep growing my business of, you know, podcasting and writing and everything else. Like, do I push, push, push right now because he's stable or do I just stop and like be with him because I know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And in reality, none of us know what's coming tomorrow. Right. And don't you feel like being with him? I mean, you are with him because you have no choice, but it's more about like, how you spend your time and what you do when you're with him. Mm-hmm. Cause I think about the time that I spend with my kids and like, I'm pretty, you know, I'm around on, especially on the weekends and we do a lot of things, but I feel like I'm always multitasking, which means yeah. I'm not really with them. Like absolutely. And it doesn't work like something that I want to do and get done that should take you know, 30 minutes takes like three and a half hours because I'm not here and I'm not there and I'm like doing both things and it's not fair to anybody. No. For myself. I feel like I half-ass everything and nothing right. is 100%. And that was the, that was the um, outcome of the cheese it fight. I was like, you know what? I think I'm just failing like left and right people, my family, my kids. And he's like, trust me, you're not. I'm like, I know, but it's how I feel. Cause I'm yeah. like half-assing everything. Yeah. You know? One of the things that I read about anticipatory grief, the symptoms, quote unquote, I mean, you and I don't even need symptoms because yeah. <laughs> we are way past we symptoms it. at this yes. point, but the top three that stood out to me for anybody who's listening, thinking, gosh, is this, you know, I want to be fair too and say that you don't have to have two dying children to feel this way. Sure. You could have a child with a Down syndrome diagnosis or an autism diagnosis that, you know, you're grieving the life you thought you were going to have and you're grieving because your child is in pain. But the three things that stood out to me and you tell me how you feel about these. Number one is fear. Do you have fear every day? I think we've covered that one. (laughs) Yes, I have fear. I don't know that it's necessarily fear of them dying, though. Like, I think, although you may disagree, like, I feel like I've come to terms with that. 
you probably know like what you think you're prepared for when it actually happens. You're not prepared for it. But I have more fear of like their quality of life. Mm -hmm. And if I can give them like what they need and if their community can give them what they need so they thrive. And it's Mm -hmm. really, I feel like our world is not set up for success in that fashion. Like it is so hard, especially as they become more, disabled, if you will. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Okay. Number two was anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, my kids have anxiety. Um, I definitely feel like I live with anxiety and it's kind of the same. Like, I feel like I, the traits that they have are the same things I see. It's almost like their anxiety I try to take it on for Mm. them. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Duncan is scared of so many things. Tags. He's scared of tags on like shirts. And really, which is like people say a sensitivity thing, but it's not, it's not a sensitivity thing. He just like is scared of them or stickers, very scared of stickers. And so I like take that on for him. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of letting him feel those feels and then me being able to be the strong person and help him with that. Yeah. I take that all on. Yeah. And just like the same thing of fear, just like anxiety that I'm not, I just want to do the best that I can do for them and give them the life that they deserve, which is completely dependent on us. Like yeah. I want to build them the house that they need to be able to thrive. That's mm-hmm. our latest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a small little task. Yeah, just a small, small thing. Right. <laughs> just find like tens of millions of thousands of dollars and, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of talked about like anticipating or the anxiety associated with like upcoming doctor's appointments. I also get really anxious about dates or milestones. Like this episode is going to be airing the week of Lorelai's birthday. And whoop, there's Lorelai giving us yes, <laughs> an right? angel sign right there. Right. <laughs> um, this, oh. Perfect timing, dudes. Yes. Um, yes. This will be the week of her birthday. And we're recording this about two weeks before. And I'm already having the anxiety of, oh my gosh, her birthday's coming. Oh my gosh, like. Yes. And I have found that my anxiety and for me, so she passed on seven, seven, every start of a new month, it kind of starts over for me again. Until you get to the seventh. Until I get to the seventh. And then on the seventh, I can breathe again. That's too much to go through every month, every single month. And you know, you'll Thank get God this. She didn't pass on like the 28th. Well, yeah. <laughs> Cause then Ugh. you'd be like one whole. Yeah. Well here the, you'll get this comment. Everybody else thinks I'm pretty dark when I say it, but you'll get it. All I can hope is that Benji dies on the 6th, 7th or 8th of a month. Because I what if what if he dies on the 28th and I've got this at the beginning of the month and that at the end of the month? I can't do that. Like, you know, God, universe, like you gave me these two kids with a terminal disease. The very least you could do yeah, is have them die on the same day. On their death date. You know, Throw I'll me a bone. That. I'll add that to my prayer list. I mean, I might wait a little bit, hoping right. that's far, far right, away. Right, right, right. Let's put it off a few years. But yeah. like, 
How how amazing would it be though if he also died on seven seven? I'm thinking I, I'm not shooting for the same exact day, right. but like the seventh of whatever month Benji feels called to leave right. is right. fine by me. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of like um, like birthdays, for yeah. example. Christmas. We and oh. Christmas, yeah. I mean, that for you especially, just because you have holidays are different now than they were have been for the past five years. I feel like my milestone, like the birthdays are hard for me. I do feel like we really downplay them. Like we've never had, Caleb's never had a birthday party, like where he's invited people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we'll have like some cupcakes and my mm-hmm. parents might come over, but I kind of try to downplay it. And that helps not for his sake, but for me, I don't think I'll get to protect you or him. Yeah. It's like to protect me. And that, I don't think I can do that much longer because he's eight now and he's like, you know, why can't other people are having birthday parties? Yeah. Okay. And it's also the stages, like the milestone birthdays of like he, when he turned eight, he aged out of a bunch of trials and Mm. things like that. They continue to happen. Um, so, and Duncan and I have to go through that. Like he's still eligible for clinical trials for the next year and a half. And yeah. when he's eight, then we kind of give up that hope. Oh, yeah. And every birthday puts you closer to the death date. Yeah. I mean, with Lorelai being two to five years, I just heard in my head forever and ever two to five, two to five, two to five. And, and she passed when, five. She passed at five and a half. And Benji's two and a half. For us, every cold, every virus, towards the last couple years of her life, every autonomic storm, is this going to be it? Is this going to be it? And yes, Mito is a progressive disease. But as she showed us, one head cold could be the end. Right. And I'm not saying at least... But at least in your case, you often see progression, even if you don't know how quickly the progression is going to be. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw that progression. And and I was saying to you before, like, I am grateful the rest of the world doesn't have to fear common colds and COVID the way I do. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. sniffles could kill my kid. Right. Sniffles did kill my daughter. Yeah. And... It just, it goes along with the grief, you know, mm-hmm. you, the grief and the depression, and it's just heavy all the time. It is heavy. And just the, I mean, the amount of appointments, mm-hmm. as you know, that we go through, it is so much. I think we counted once, like, how many specialists we see. I mean, it's like 20. Yeah. Ridiculous. If you yeah. include all the, include all the orthotics and, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it feels like there's so many other complications that are unrelated to Duchenne. I'm like, but really? like, But really, it's related. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I what feel like. What came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, it's <laughs> exactly. all. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so many things like that. But then we carry all of that grief, that anticipatory grief up until those appointments. But right when I'm done with one, I got another one coming up. Yeah. Yep. You know? Okay, so the last point that stood out to me was for the symptoms, quote unquote, of anticipatory grief is rehearsal of death. 
Have you gotten to that point yet? No. For me, the second we were discharged from the NICU, I started having like flashes of what it would look like. When she was born? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like once we got the diagnosis, she was in the NICU for 77 days. Right. And when we got home within a month or so, um, within a month or so of her being home and trying to adjust as a medical family, I started having like, what is it going to look like when she dies? What is, and you know, these symptoms are listed out on these websites for people who are taking care of elderly folks. Mm-hmm. It's not meant for people like us who are going to deal with lifelong caregiving. I kind of anticipated and rehearsed her death in my head for five years. And a lot of people said to me, like, her funeral was beautiful. Like It her- was. <laughs> but I, I was in a mall and it. I was live streaming it from a mall. I'm like, don't <laughs> mind me. Don't mind me. <laughs> I had been planning it for five years, though. Right. You no know? wonder it and- was so damn perfect. <laughs> But we've, I feel like we know what adult death looks like, right? right? Like people are old and frail and they may go into the hospital. They may go into hospice. They might get to do hospice at home. And eventually, like, it feels like older people that die, like, they all kind of look the same. I feel like child death is, mm-hmm. like, so different, right? Yeah. You have, like, yeah. five-year-olds. You have 18-year-olds. You have, like, for all different I don't know. I just can't even, I have no idea what that's going to look like. It looks different, but it also feels different. It's against the way nature is supposed to go, quote unquote, supposed to go, because I firmly believe that God has a plan for all of these souls. And just because my plan says that people die when they get old, God's plan doesn't. Right. And some people like Lorelai don't live to be 95 years old. In Mito world, the equivalent of five and a half is kind of like 80 some years. I do feel like we, my husband and I have grasped the fact, I don't know if this will help us or not, but like grasp the fact that we will live longer than our children. Yeah. And people are like, how, how do you do that? I'm like, cause it's just factual. I mean, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I could get hit by a car, but like if it all goes the way it's spoke, the way we think it will, that's just yeah. what's going to happen. But then circling back, then you have anxiety about what if it doesn't happen? Right. I, I actually, that's a really good point of that anxiety. Like if I or both of us die before, like who, what, how? I mean, we have like wills and trusts and kind of people lined up, but like. But I can't put this burden on someone else. No, no. That is scary. Yeah. Which is why my husband is a private pilot. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you and I should just go gallivanting in a plane. He's like, it's safer than a car. <laughs> oh. Yeah, my husband and I don't go anywhere together anymore. <laughs> I remember one episode when you're like, you know what? We've come to the terms that we will not vacation together mm-hmm. until both of our kids have passed. Mm-hmm. You said that once, I think. Yep. And it's not necessarily because anything would happen to both of us. No, it's, it's because like, we need somebody at home to make life or death decisions with our children. And I can't put life or death decisions on my parents. Right. Right. And I, um, that, that's great. I mean, that is, you're a very strong mom. 
I just drink a lot and eat a right. lot of pie. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Don't we all? There's a couple more things that we wanted to talk about because mm-hmm. this is getting long, but that's okay. One thing that I want to state before we dive into this next topic is that all of these feelings are normal. And I had a mom, um, had a mom messaging me yesterday and she's like an acquaintance mom. And I guess because I have this podcast and because I'm very open about our story, people come to me and they're like, this is how I'm feeling. She was basically saying how she just feels alone in all of this. And she feels alone in her house because she's doing her best to keep her children alive. And she feels alone. And whether you're struggling with anticipatory grief or the grief of this isn't the life I thought I was going to have or depression and anxiety, all of these feelings are completely normal in the journey that we have all been given. You and I both have therapists and we see counselors. And that's what I was telling her is that all of these feelings are normal and we should feel okay talking about anticipatory grief and this journey. I think that that's important to getting through it, getting forward with it. I don't know. I I agree. Don't you feel like, I mean, people comment often like, oh, Suze, how can you like joke about death? But like, how can you not? when this is what something that we've you've experienced and otherwise you're just going to what, like wallow in your sorrows over and over all day, every day. I mean that too, but there Mm -hmm. has to be some light or levity. Yeah. No, my mom said to me the other day, I referred to Lorelai as the dead kid. And she was like, gentle words, please. Gentle words. (laughs) And I was like, I mean, it is what it is. Like, this is my living kid. That's my dead kid. (laughs) Gentle words. We need someone to keep us grounded. (laughs) One of the things that I wanted to talk about was, does anticipatory grief make death easier? And does anticipatory grief make our lives easier? after death easier. Which you probably have. I don't know if you can speak to this because I'm the one who's kind of faced it, but the research that I found online said that a lot of people do go through the motions of anticipatory grief, the anxiety, the fear as a way of trying to take control of the situation as much as we can control, trying to learn, trying to understand, trying to grasp what is going on. For me, I found that it to a point, did make death easier. Because like you said earlier, we've come to the realization that we know our kids are going to die before us. Mm -hmm. And we're grieving that fact right now. I had plans for Lorelai's death. Shocker, right? I had plans of how it was going to be and how it was going to... Not in the hospital. Not in a hospital. She died in a hospital. Shocker. (laughs) Because my kid, she died in a hospital on a holiday with a hurricane coming because that's my child. Right. (laughs) Hurricane Elsa, no less. (laughs) Um, But I think for me, it made my time with her here on earth harder facing the anticipatory grief. Yes. But it made the act of dying easier because I knew it was coming. Yeah. I've met a lot of parents who are bereaved parents over the last six months. And the ones that have had typical children who got in a car accident or things like that, 
they are facing death very differently than you and I will, because you and I have been processing this death for years and years. Right. And I don't think one is easier than another. I don't either. However, like I do think living with anticipatory grief is like so draining and exhausting mentally. Like you said, I think it, there's Lorelai saying that's correct. (laughs) There's Lorelai. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, so not that I want my kid to die in a car accident instead, Yeah. but it's like, reminds me of those four years I got to live with my kids free of diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Well, Caleb had CP, but mm-hmm. I was able to, I was able yeah. to brush that one under the rug. So like without the Duchenne diagnosis, that was like what it felt like that those were like blissful. Yeah. I, I wish I had those years. I, know. I wish I'm I had sorry. like, no, don't apologize. I think that that's part of literally the minute Laurel, I was born, I was a medical mom yep. and that's all I've known. Um, you know, I kind of asked earlier, like how, how do you think you would have been if you weren't a medical mom and you had right. four years kind of, of not being a medical mom? I mean, and- I guess Caleb did have heart issues and we were in and out of the emergency room at least twice a year, but mm. well then. There were things, but like those things feel minuscule compared to. Okay. Scratch the whole four years of not being a medical mom, but those were four years of motherhood without the anticipatory grief. Yes. Correct. (sighs) Right. It's just a weird world we've, we've landed ourselves in. Isn't it? How? That's, was me yesterday. I'm like, I took a picture of Duncan on the table getting this echo and I sent it to Dan. I'm like, I can't believe this is our effing lives. Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. can't believe it sometimes. And then I just like, it's just our normal. So we go through the motions and do all the things. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it strikes me. Yeah. That's like, that's grief. Mm -hmm. The other side of that coin, does anticipatory grief make life for the caregiver after death any easier i can tell you yes, tell according me. according to google it <laughs> is easier for some people according to the mom who is living it right now oh hell no right i had hoped that because i saw it coming i had hoped because i know in my heart my child is not suffering I had hoped that it would be easier because I spent five years dealing with anticipatory grief, but it is anticipatory grief is a 180 from grief, grief. Mm-hmm. I struggle now because grief is terrible, mm-hmm. but I struggle because there are days when I'm like, I just want her back. Right. But that would mean that she would be here suffering. You know, and then I yes. feel like a bad mom because I'm like, I want her okay. back. Yeah. And that would mean if she was back, she would be in pain and I don't want her in pain. And I just. But maybe just like for a second to see her smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not about the pain and the suffering that you want back. I just want to hold my child. Right. And that's not an option. Is it like the same when I remember when we got diagnosed and people were like, don't worry, it gets easier. And my whole motto is, 
it did not get easier. We just rose to the occasion. Like I we think, got stronger. Yeah. So does it get easier with time or it doesn't get easier. You just know you're, you become stronger, better equipped to deal with it. I don't know if I'm in it long enough to fully answer. I'm, right. a, I'm so almost, weird. I'm five days shy of the seven month mark mm-hmm. without her. I will say the difference that I can vividly feel between anticipatory grief and grief grief <laughs> is that anticipatory grief to me was just a constant. Like I just yeah. felt it all the time. It was kind of like a flat line of grief. Yeah. But grieving the loss of her life now, I live at the ocean. And the best way I can describe it is that most days now, seven months into this, most days I feel like I'm in ankle deep grief. But then for me, when it gets closer to the seventh of each month, I can feel the waves building and I can feel the riptide underneath the water and I can, and then a giant tsunami wave hits me on like the seventh of the month or on her birthday or whatever. And I don't know which I liked better having the constant of the anticipatory grief or just this wave of emotion. And Mm -hmm. I do not like every week in therapy. I tell my therapist, I don't like feeling this way. I don't like feeling this way. I don't like how two weeks ago in therapy, I was pretty good and I, this is a whole nother topic for another day, but I feel like on my good days, when the grief is only ankle deep, because you always feel it, but it's only ankle deep. I have a lot of negative internal talk and I have self-esteem issues and things like that. And all of that boils up when I'm in the ankle deep grief, because I'm not dwelling, I'm not drowning in the tsunami. Yeah. So two weeks ago in therapy, we were talking about my negative self-talk issues. This past week in therapy, we were talking about how I'm drowning in grief. Yeah. It's and like Yeah. And in tsunami grief while you still have anticipatory grief because of Benji. Like yes. I can't even, I don't want to, I'm going to have to do that. And you, then I'm going to call at you. At some point you're going to, and that's for you, I feel like your anticipatory grief, like me, but especially because yours, maybe you'll see signs a little quicker and a head cold in theory won't come in and wipe out your child. Right. Um, or it might, but they, it, because they would already be in failure of something. Yeah. You'll have in theory, one child that will be further progressed and another who they are very close in age mm-hmm. and their symptoms seem to be very close to happening at the same time. So are you going to be extra anticipatory grieving right. of one while you're just only a little anticipatory grieving of the other? Yeah. Like, I already ugh. feel that because Duncan is so strong physically and then Caleb is not. And so mm-hmm. I already feel like I feel I feel more bad for him than <laughs> mm-hmm. if you will. But they're still suffering from the same disease. Yeah. Should we spend a few minutes talking about social media? Or not. We can, yeah. I mean, I just feel like that is so in your face of <laughs> the anticipation of what's to come mm-hmm. and what is the grief. And so, what I was alluding to a while ago is, you know, my as yours, my social media feeds have become completely involved with 
the Duchenne committee, the special community, the special needs community, every angle of that you could imagine, like the community group that's for kids that wear AFOs and for, you know, everything. And so I can't filter it out, nor do I necessarily want to, because that's just what I live in. Mm -hmm. But I tell you that, but I guess this fear that you talked about, what's, what makes me kind of tear up and sad is that I see what's to come and it doesn't look good. Like yeah. the quality of life mm-hmm. for many of those, these kiddos and people, parents would argue for the kids that have the traits in the 24 seven BiPAPs and all of the stuff that the their kids are still happy and there's so much fulfillment. And I'm sure that's true. And I'll feel that. But from being with a six and an eight year old, like, I don't want that. Yeah. I do not want that. Yeah. For my kids or myself selfishly, but that's like what's to come. I'm like, Oh, it's heavy too, because it's life or death decisions that you see in your face all the time. It's looking at this stuff on the internet and I struggle because I'm constantly rooting for everybody else's children, but you're also going, how the hell did we get here? Like you're rooting for them, but then you're seeing it and you're going, I can't see this right now because it's, it's making it even more real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you have the flip side of people posting I know pain is pain and hard is perspective, but you have the flip side of people who are not in our community posting about, I don't know. Dogs with glaucoma? Yeah. Like their pets have glaucoma and you feel really like snarky, cynical. Right. And I don't mean, yeah, to, to feel that way. No. And I wouldn't, and at the same time, the my social media, love it or hate it, it has completely helped me through this journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, we actually like one of the first weeks that we were diagnosed, I like found some random neuromuscular disease who doctor who is now actually our doctor and who is amazing. Huh. Uh-huh. He wasn't actually so random, but I mean, I found it through that, through that community that was like, you need to go to this person. I found some of my bestest friends. I found Mm -hmm. you. Like, think Mm -hmm. about all the good that has come of it. But I have at times thought, like, I can't go without it because I need it for that part, all the support. But, like, how do I filter out, like, the failing children with all the things, you know? And in our tiny FBXL4 Mito community, just last week, two separate families in two different parts of the country on the same day, their kids were both admitted to the hospital for head colds. One went home and one did not Mm. in the same tiny, tiny community. There's like 30 of us. Right. And how do you, how do you carry that? Right. Up until Lorelai died, I kept thinking it could be us next. It could be us next. And at some point it was us. We have the same thing with ambulation. Like who's going to lose? Who's Mm going to be in the wheelchair next? Not Mm -hmm. that we talk that way, but like 
You but you think it all the time. Yeah. And when I see like a seven-year-old that is not ambulatory, I'm like, well, at least we got past that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, come on. Mm-hmm. And the toileting thing is a really hard thing, like, to for me to comprehend. Like, yeah. how that they can't do that themselves. It's fine when they're 40 pounds and they're six and eight. I can do this. Yeah. But like when they're like 15. Yeah. Or when they, you know, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. Well, and half of, for me, half of the anticipatory grief is going, I can't go there yet. Right. And I had to set, and I have to still with Benji, I find myself having to set a boundary and having to say, no, stop thinking that way right now. Refocus back to where you are today. Because if Lorelai dying during a hurricane on a holiday in the hospital didn't teach me a damn thing, it was that I can have all these plans and all this. And my therapist has even said to me, well, you planned a lot and none of it happened that way. Right. So like, don't do the same for Ben. Well, and part of this anticipation is like building up in your head. Here's how it's going to go. Here's what it's going to look like when I'm toileting a 15 year old. Here's what it, you know, and right. we kind of have to step back and go pause for a minute, like focus on where you are right now. And that's the only way you can keep going. We can't carry, this is going to sound like a Hallmark card, but we can't carry the burdens of tomorrow mm-hmm. today because we have far more burdens today than we should have. I'm going to live by your, how we kind of started in that, what your therapist said. So every time we think of mm-hmm. the bad, just like follow it up with something wonderful. That's got to help. Right. Yeah. And I think, so in my notes here to wrap up, um, I had a couple ways that the internet says we can, help anticipatory grief. Some of them I think is crap, but it might help somebody. Yes. Um, The first way is to find ways to take control. There's no ways that we can take control of this is the way I see it. But when I broke it down in my thought process, I actually thought a lot about how you have taken control by writing a book about your kids so that other kids can can learn about this. I feel like that's a a really creative way to kind of take control of this situation by being in trials and helping in our case, doing fundraising for research. We can't cure our kids, but we can help the community as much as we can. And for me, the fundraising, while it's a lot of work, it's the only thing I can control right now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's an outlet or if it is a way of me processing my anticipatory grief and me trying to feel like I'm controlling some sort of outcome for my kids. Yeah, it's both. (laughs) For me too, because I'm a planner and because I'm I'm literally an event planner by trade, planning my daughter's funeral. I know that sounds dark and crazy, but for me, I spent five years dreaming up this amazing party to celebrate her soul. I said it to many friends before and they were all like, oh, don't think that way. But for me, it was helpful. Yeah. You're like, no, that's what I mean. (laughs) If I want to play in my kid's party when she dies, you let me play in my kid's party. Yes. Yes. The next on my list was focus on the good as much as the bad, which we've Mm -hmm. talked about. Yep. Ask for help. Um, This is incredibly difficult. You're working on that. 
I'm working on it. I, I, I really am. But I, the mom that was messaging me last night, she was like, I feel weird even asking you for help on finding a therapist. And I told her, I think we're so used to doing all of this on our own and just to keep going. For me, the more I ask for help, the easier it gets. Right. And isn't that comforting that someone asks, like, don't ask me to help you pick out your kitchen counters, but like, I can help you with something related to a medical necessity. Like Mm -hmm. that, that is part of my coping. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, But that is hard to nail down asking for help. Like, and if you are listening and you love a mom who is going through this, just give help. But that couldn't be more true instead of asking, what do you need? Because we cannot articulate. No, I've been living with my parents now for almost three weeks and (laughs) I'm like nearing 40 without a job living with my parents. And one of my children is dead. Not yet getting divorced. Not Not getting divorced, just hiding from COVID. You know, I have found that one of the things that has really helped being here is that I don't have to empty the dishwasher. And I know that sounds minuscule, but it is one less task that I have to do every day because I'm making food for Benji. I'm drawing meds for Benji. I'm doing all this stuff every day. And the fact that I don't have to empty the dishwasher, it it speaks volumes to me that that's how overloaded I am, that I cannot process having to empty the dishwasher. Right. But if you're listening – And you think there's nothing I can do with COVID, don't come into my house. I don't want you coming in and emptying the dishwasher. But you could say, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm picking up groceries for you. What do you need? Or I don't even know what you need because you're going to get X, Y, (laughs) Z and it's out there already. My friend who's listening right now who sent me eight pies one night, like (laughs) it was beautiful and amazing. And I ate all of the pie. (laughs) It just showed up at my doorstep. Eight pies, whipped cream, the whole nine. That is amazing. And the last thing I wanted to add, which is really important to me, and this is the longest episode we've ever done, but I'm I'm loving it, is that creating memories. For me, handling anticipatory grief, I have a bucket list for my kids. I have things that I want to do. I have things that, because... After the anticipatory grief, after being a medical mom for however many years we're a medical mom, you know, you enter into grief, 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 Mm -hmm. and we are entering into grief, grief, just like everybody else, but we also haven't processed the five plus years of trauma and caregiving and being tapped out. I almost feel like we need like a two-week vacation before our kid dies just so that we can refresh before going into the grief, grief part. But having those memories makes it a little more beautiful. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm trying to pack all of that in now. While you can. Heavy front-loading memories Mm -hmm. in anticipation of a decline. Yeah. And we can still make memories, but they're going to look different and they're going to feel mm-hmm. different, you know. But you'll also adjust right. and you'll pivot. 
Right. And like buy a camper because we can't fly or whatever. You can buy a camper (laughs) and we can meet in the middle and we can camp. Diane has a camper too. So we are just (laughs) going to have like a medical mom camp out. Yes. In like Nashville or something. Our kids won't be moving anywhere. We'll just sit and drink. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Morning to night. Do you have anything else to add? No, but I like your just thoughts around asking for help. And probably part of why this episode is going so long is because, believe it or not, like this is helpful to me. Yeah. I never say no to anyone asking me to talk about something related to my kids. (laughs) And I think we often find ourselves in a place where we're talking about our kids. We're talking about their medical stuff. We're not talking about what we are going through. Right. We're not sitting here and saying, Sarah, this is how I feel. No. (laughs) And to find somebody that you can say that to, actually, that was one of the things on that list. Um, I didn't write it down because I, I felt like, well, we're talking about it anyway. But one of the things on the list that it said to help with anticipatory grief is to find friends who you feel comfortable talking about this with. Mm-hmm. Even if that means you're listening to this episode and you're going, yes, that is what I'm feeling. I think that that is going to be helpful to somebody too. Absolutely. That's our goal, right? That's why, mm-hmm. that's why you do this. Yep. We wrap up every episode with a question. And I was trying to figure out, should we sign out the way Diane and I sign out? and say, this is Susan, and I'm going to go do blah, blah, blah? Or should we sign out and say, let's do both. Okay. Let's do what gives us Choose your own adventure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What gives us hope right now as parents who are facing anticipatory grief? We can both answer. So I was thinking about this because I answered this a year ago, Mm -hmm. and one of my big hopes was science and clinical research, and now I'm like... (laughs) we're I am three and a half years into diagnosis and I have it's not that I don't have hope in it but it's really really moving at a snail's pace yeah in terms of how fast a Duchenne progresses but I think what gives me hope now is just kind of being maybe more present in the moment being able to create those memories that we were just talking about that I know is so important to make now because when you're in the grief grief stage unfortunately you don't get to make Mm -hmm. those memories anymore um and so just finding that community and being able to fulfill their lives make them I just want to make them smile I don't want them in pain and suffering even though I, I know that's to come um And what gives me hope in terms of anticipatory grief are the good days because you know, like right now, our good days are going to be excellent compared to what our good days are in five years or a year or whatever the timeline might be. And I look at where Laurel, I was at two years old versus where she was at five years old. And I try to constantly refocus myself for Benji because his good days right now are excellent compared to what her good days were at five. And 
And I mean, we were color coding calendars for her to keep track of her good days versus her bad days. And we're not doing that right now. It's so beautiful that you can recognize that. It's you know, bittersweet, you know? It is, right. Mm-hmm. Like you're comparis- comparing, but still it helps yeah. you to see that beauty. Yep. And I didn't see it with her because right. I was so knee deep in everything I was facing. Right. It was new. It was scary. It was not what I thought motherhood should be. And now I can handle a G-tube. I can handle constipation. I can handle all this stuff that, you know... <laughs> Yeah, wait till we get to that topic because muscles for your kids, like my kids don't, my kids don't have muscle now. Right. Well, one's dead, but the other one doesn't have muscle right now. The dead kid. (laughs) The dead kid. The dead kid doesn't have to worry about constipation. It's the other one. (laughs) Um, But like pooping muscles, you don't think about this. Right. So on days when Benji poops, I celebrate. (laughs) We celebrate poops. We do here over two. We pump the Miralax and we celebrate Well, this is Susan, and I actually have to go draw some uh, lactulose and (laughs) all of that stuff. So Benji can do tomorrow. (laughs) And this is Sarah, and I have to check the hundred of emails I probably just got in the last, you know, hour or so. And uh, restock the Cheez Its too. Yeah, and restock the Cheez Its. Yep, and drink my uh, coffee. So, (laughs) well, thank you, Sarah, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Just like the intro, I'm going to make the outro short and sweet. If you're new here, thank you for being here. Please do us a favor. And if you liked this conversation, go back and listen to some other episodes. We are really cool and we have a lot of conversations that we think you'll appreciate. I also would ask if you could like it, share it, you know, anything, everything to help this podcast grow so that we can help other families not feel so alone in their journeys. Also, I promise this is it. If you're on Facebook, go to When Autumn Comes Society. It is a group where we talk about things like the podcast and life and your favorite type of grief pie. So we'll see you there.